Good evening. Good evening and welcome to the Coffee Clatch. I'm Mae Wilkinson and I will be assisted by Chuck Wally and by Marianne Russo tonight on TweetTube. Good evening and welcome to the Coffee Clatch. The Coffee Clatch and Special Needs Talk Radio Network feature outstanding programming for the special needs community. Our team of hosts provide educational interviews. Our shows are not designed to provide listeners with specific or personal medical, legal, or professional service or advice. Parents of children with health issues should always consult their health care provider for medical advice, medications, or treatment. Any show discussing rights and law for special needs children and special education are presented as general information and not legal advice. Special Needs Coffee Clash Limited does not promote any hosts or guests' individual practice, programs, treatments, or products. We thank you for joining us and are proud to provide excellence in broadcasting for the special needs community. And now, on to the interview. All right. So, good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Coffee Clash. I'm Mae Wilkinson, and tonight I am joined by author advocate, autism expert, and veteran parent, Chantal Cecile Kira. Chantal has helped many, many families understand the modern world of autism spectrum disorders and, and how to fully integrate and mainstream these children. Her mission is to empower parents and educators with the knowledge they need about autism spectrum disorders, including Asperger's syndrome. She is known for giving practical advice and autism parenting tips on raising teenagers and children, as well as teaching them the life skills that they will need to lead productive lives. Chantal, welcome to the Coffee Clatch. Thank you so much, May, for having me. It's a pleasure. What what we usually do is, uh, first of all, we'd like to invite all of our guests this evening to to call in um, to our number of... uh, 646-595-2881 646-595-2881 if they have any questions, or they can log into Tweet Chat using hashtag TCK to post any questions online for Chantal. And I thought what we would do is kind of begin with some general parenting questions, Chantal. So what I'd like to talk a little bit about is what do you see are the biggest issues facing kids on the spectrum today? You know, that's a really great question. And there are a couple of things that are really outstanding in my mind uh, when you ask that question. The first one is low expectations. So that could be low expectations from society in general, low expectations from the teacher or administrators, or low expectations sometimes from the parents um, themselves just from lack of knowing um, better or um, having the empowerment to realize that they can change um, their child's uh, life. And um, so that's a really big thing. But I want to make sure to state here that I'm not saying that all um, administrators and teachers and parents have low expectations. I'm saying that's just one struggle that uh, someone with uh, an autism spectrum disorder diagnosis could be facing. The other one, which kind of goes hand in hand with that, is low self-esteem. That is the number one uh, problem or challenge that I hear when I speak at conferences around the country that parents express and teachers express and people on the spectrum who are now adults who can communicate effectively express is this low self-esteem. And um, 
I know it sounds kind of like people want something more uh, pragmatic that they can go out and do with their child, but this low self-esteem is a problem for everyone in general, um, and so it's no different for our guys and gals on the spectrum. And I know, um, I'm not sure how much you know, May, about my son, but my son um, has only little verbal speech, and over a long process we're able to teach him to type, and um, now he graduated from high school. And one of the things that he uh, answers questions from people who write to him, and many times people say, well, what can I do for my child? I don't know that he understands anything. And he always answers something like, tell them every day you love them and you know they're smart. And I, uh-huh. it kills me because every time that, my, that I would put my son to bed, and my daughter too, but who's neurotypical, or so they say, but anyway, mm-hmm. she doesn't have autism. Uh, Jeremy, I would tell him, you know, you're really smart, and I would make up this stupid little song, and I would sing to him every night that I knew he was smart and that I loved him and I knew that he understood everything I said. And you know what? My son may be autistic and he may have all these problems, but he has very great self-esteem. And the thing is, is unless you believe in yourself, you're going to have a really tough time. And and Jeremy also explained, because we've just co-authored a book that's going to be published in April, mm-hmm. and I learned a lot because he wrote his part of the book and I wrote my part of the book. I learned a lot from reading what he had to say. And one of the things um, that he um, said was that uh, what got him through everything is knowing that I believed in him as a parent, but um, also um, that... That's what got him through the hardest times, is knowing that uh, we believed him. Because he describes in the book the feelings that he's always, um, you know, he wasn't technically bullied, but he always was hearing negative things. And that when you're nonverbal and you're stuck in these special education classrooms, you hear people talking about you, and you hear negative things. And it's true, even for IEPs, we're always talking about um, not not the strengths, but we talk about the deficits. And mm-hmm. so imagine if they're hearing this all day. It's such a relief for them to come home and hear, you know, I love you, I think you're so smart, you know, doing it very in a fun, loving way when they're going to sleep at night. You know, it kind of erases all the bad things from the day. And you know what? If your kid doesn't understand, what did you waste, two minutes? It's mm-hmm. worth it. Yes. Yeah. Hello? All right. I, I think I lost you there for just a second. The signal cut out. So what was that last bit the la- about the two minutes? I'm just saying that it only takes two minutes to do. Oh, and it's yeah. Worth- and, of course, it's not it's not the parent's fault of the low self-esteem. It's their 24 hours a day of mm-hmm. what the child has. But this thing, especially if they're struggling to be understood and they're not understood, the fact that they know that their parents believe in them really helps. I I can't um agree with you more. The discrimination is is really insidious. It's things like a fifth grader uh not being offered the same planner that the other children in the fifth grade class are being offered. And it's such a little thing, but why should anyone decide that our it would be too much for our kids to handle to have their own planner, especially when everyone else does? Or why can't some kids take the AR reading test along with the other children. It's it just seems like every day someone is telling our children, "You're not really good enough to be like everybody else," and I think it wears on them over time. 
um, and especially every meeting that they go to when they say you're not doing this right or your scores weren't this way or you have to have your visual schedule on your desk where everybody can see it instead of tucked away in a book. There's just all these things throughout the day that, that point to the children to say, hey, you're different than everybody else. So I love that idea. Right. Ever, everyone, you know, go ahead. It's not a bad thing to be different, but not to be – you don't. You want to be known for being different because, like, you can play great piano or because yeah. you know what all the stars are, but not different because you need a schedule to help keep you on track. Right. That's right. That 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 it's I, – I, what, what was it that Timbal Grandin, his mother, always said? You're different but not less. Um, and, and I love that line. Um, so – but there's also something something else. Sometimes parents unwittingly cause that lack of self-esteem because I think sometimes we tend to over-parent. And I know that I've made this mistake before. I know a lot of the mothers that I've made, um, that I've mentored, make the mistake too, is that we tend to um, maybe hover a little bit or we tend to put in more protection than is actually needed. Um, can you talk a little bit about when a parent should protect and when perhaps they should relax so that the child can relax too? You know, it's interesting that you bring up this question because I totally understand what you're saying. But when you look at society today, isn't that what's happening with all children in general? Um, Some of these areas that I've been to and exactly the one that I live in right now, I feel like the parents are always helicopter parents, even for their neurotypical kids. Mm -hmm. So I think, first of all, there's that in general for the population at large. But specifically about kids on the spectrum, it is really hard for parents um, to know when do they hold back and when do they um, do something, you know, or hover too much. And you're absolutely right. And so one of the things uh, that's really important is uh, trying to do your best, as we all do, to have a good environment at the school so we don't worry so much. But the other thing, too, is... Um, in helping our child to get skills so that they are more empowered, uh, so that you don't worry that much about them. So, um, and putting safety things in uh, school. So if the school isn't going to help you with it, it's something that you can do with your own child. For example, if you have concerns about your child um, being bullied or uh, being, I know in high school what happens sometimes is that Uh, Some of the students are um, very naive, and so someone will invite them to go and do something wrong, like cut class and smoke pot under the bleachers, Mm -hmm. you know, things that they don't realize that is a bad decision. And so um, always trying to find uh, someone on the campus or giving them the permission to call you or call someone that's a trusted adult to ask, is this a good decision to make? Mm -hmm. So that's one uh, can be protected in that way when they're getting older. I guess maybe I'm talking too much about the older kids, but I find that that's a big problem, especially with the adolescent and teen, because, you know, there's that when do you give them more freedom and uh, and pull back. Um, It is really hard because you want to make sure that um, your child is safe. Uh, The thing is, is teaching them ways in which they can handle when they're being uh, bullied. So uh, it's really hard because, you know, I'm talking in general, and everyone's got a specific way that their child reacts. 
and a specific way that um, their child might be um, in danger or what the parent perceives as danger. But if you um, teach your child certain um, safety things, for example, uh, another thing, too, is if a child is always supposed to be picked up at school, these are especially the younger kids, and um, someone could pick him up who uh, isn't supposed to be picking him up. Mm-hmm. You should always have something set up with the child where, you know, you're, they're never supposed to go in a car with somebody else, and if someone else comes for them, they'll know a certain word or a password. And so that way um, they won't get in a car without mm-hmm. having this person tell them the certain password. Do you see what I mean? A little Very thing much like so. that. Very much um, so. So it sounds to me like you're you're all the way through the relationship with the child. You're trying to encourage this independence and self-advocacy by giving them sort of the tools to use. Is that what you're trying to say, Chantal? Right. And exactly, when you talk about self-advocacy, that's the number one life skill that needs to be taught, and it can be taught started uh, starting early. And also, when we talk, many people talk about independence, but we should be talking about interdependence, which is how do you ask for help. And this I learned when I did the research for my book, Autism Life Skills. I interviewed a lot of people who were adults, successful adults on the spectrum, and I said, what would have been important to them growing up? And I kept bringing up independence. And all of them would tell me, We're, these are people with Asperger's syndrome that are answering this, these questions. Oh, we're all independent. We don't know how to be interdependent. In other words, we don't know how to ask for help. We don't know how to get out of a solution by looking towards someone to help us with that. So one concrete way of doing that, for example, if you have small children, is going to, into a store with your child and making sure they're close to you and saying, you know, don't worry, if you get lost, I'm always here. And then when they're a little more comfortable of being in the store with you, you organize it with an other adult and you um, teach your child, you know, if you would get separated, go see this other person and ask them to look for me. So you practice that, you know, you move yourself a little bit away physically and so then they can't find you, so then they go to the other person who's standing right there. But, you know, little by little, little steps like that where they learn to ask for help. Then eventually you teach them um, to learn to identify who works in the store and ask them for help. Another uh, big step in self-advocacy is, I know it sounds really simple, but it's these kinds of things which um, teaches them step by step. When they go to a restaurant to order, Again, if your child's nonverbal, if they're using assistive technology, you can use it that way with pictures or words. But you teach them to ask for, to make choices, but also to be specific about those choices. So you know how you always see the person who orders, like, I want that salad, but I don't want the dressing that comes with Mm -hmm. it. I want the dressing that comes with that other salad, but put it on the side. You can tell them to ask specifically what they want. So they're making choices, but they're also being specific. And over time, little by little, you generalize that to other areas of their life. So they realize that they are allowed to have an opinion, they are allowed to ask. And it's safe to do that in a restaurant because the waitress is not going to argue with them. Oh, Chantal, now now you're really onto something because some of the legacy um, teaching methods really did not in, encourage some of that. Um, it was it, it really is takes a lot 
um, for some of the kids to to open up and express the entirety of the details and the specifics that they're thinking about. And that is um, a really tough, tough skill for these children to learn. Do you, do you, is there, go ahead. They can Any learn it. There would be great. They can learn it at the restaurants where it's an opportunity that's fun and they enjoy it and they're motivated because they want to have what they want to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's I think you're that's huge. Uh, a lot of times there'll be an ask, but it won't be specific, and then it's subject to misinterpretation, and the child feels unhappy, and then they feel like they they, they why didn't they get what they want? But the thing was, we couldn't read their minds or his mind or her mind to to figure out what truly they need, they needed. So the child walks away feeling unfulfilled, even though he had the courage to ask. So I, I, I agree completely. It's it's asking for what they want, but also adding those specifics that, that leads to a more enriching life for them. That's correct. All right. What are some of the, you know, these are just things that are top of mind. What are parents asking you about most often, Chantal? Where, where, where do, um, what, what are most parents most concerned about? Okay, the well, I guess because of my book, Adolescence on the Autism Spectrum, and not very many people speak on the whole topic of um, teenagers, mm-hmm. I get asked a lot of questions about, oh, my gosh, my son, my daughter, um, they're hitting puberty, they're becoming teenagers, and their autism is getting worse. And I want to reassure parents that the autism is not getting worse. It's that they're becoming teenagers. And so there's a lot of things going on, and if there's the one biggest piece of advice I can give parents is to make sure that they tell their children before the puberty hits them. Like for girls, it's usually around nine, though some, um, there was research that came out last year that said that uh, puberty can start at an earlier age for some people on the spectrum. So, uh, but usually it's nine for the girls and ten for the boys. And you need to have social stories and explain that what's going to happen, like literally what's going to happen, like you're going to have pubic hair, hair start growing under your armpits. And be specific because if you say you're going to start getting hair where you didn't have hair before, they're going to think they're going to turn into a werewolf. <laughs> you want to be specific. And you want to have um, pictures of trusted adults from the time they were little until grown up, like mom and dad or uncle and aunt, because you know what? They don't realize that... Um, you're, you know, that mom used to be a little baby and what that looked like. They don't catch all those things because um, it's not concrete enough for them. So if you do picture books, you know, mom and always a male and a female because they need to know what the other gender is looking like and changing like because otherwise they don't recognize their classmates when they go back to school three months later if, you know, the girls have started um, having boobs and they're starting to look like little women some of these Aspie boys freak out because they're like, where's that girl that I used to know last year? Oh, so you show pictures of, of mom and, um, you know, or trusted female and a trusted male. This is them as a baby. This is in grammar school. Uh, this is, you know, in high school and now as an adult. So they realize this transition that everybody becomes a man and everybody becomes a woman. So, And you need to tell them ahead of time um, before they start uh, menstruating or the boys start having wet dreams because otherwise they start thinking they're getting sick and what's wrong with them. Mm-hmm. And imagine um, people who, are, who don't like change. Many people on the spectrum do not like change. 
and all of a sudden their body's changing and nobody told them this was going to happen, that's what's freaky for them. Yeah. And the last I like point the idea I want to make, Okay, go ahead. The last point I want to make is that uh, a lot of people say, oh, my gosh, my son or daughter hit uh, puberty and they've become so noncompliant, and they look at that as an autism thing. You know what? Teenagers are noncompliant. They want to make their own choices, and they're usually not the same as yours. And so when your um, child is growing into a teenager, you need to start giving them wider parameters within which to make choices so that they can make their own choices and they can be noncompliant in the sense of, I'm not going to do this, I'm going to do that. And uh, noncompliance is teenagerism. It is not autism. <laughs> Understood. And it's happening. it seems to be uh, happening earlier and earlier. We see some of that in fifth grade. Yes. Um, so, oh, my goodness. Well, I have one question that came up on tweet chat, and it is, how do you teach a child to ask for help when they cannot? And I know you mentioned the uh, restaurant example of of asking for the food they want and them being specific, but she, uh, this, this mother um, is saying that her daughter will not and cannot ask. Do you have any ideas for her? Cannot in the sense of is nonverbal? I I didn't see that. I think it is just a um, just a reluctance to to ask. And I don't know if that's because the the child may not realize what she wants, or um, because she's never been trained. You know, sometimes the old school method they they don't right. really teach kids to try to understand their needs. They, you know, so. Oh, let me let me explain to you. I had a son who did not move because he was hypotonic, and I had to teach him everything from rolling over to sitting up to everything. And so I used the fact that he could not move very well to make him ask me. This kid was the most unmotivated kid you'd ever seen in your life. My son would not even. You know how some autistic kids will, like, move their hand and make your hand go get what they want? He wouldn't even do that. I would put milk and juice in front of him, and he would not move. Oh, and no. so um, I just used the opportunities to find so that he could not eat. I know it sounds mean, but I asked um, advice of the pediatrician, like, how long can I go without feeding my child? <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. And I made him ask before I would give him anything because he loved his food. But Jeremy was very unmotivated, and he was like, eh, if I don't get it now, I can get it tomorrow. But it took like two and a half days. So he would finally ask me by handing me, by taking my hands and pointing it to something, and then eventually I replaced that with an icon, and then I replaced that with pointing to a word. But once he realized <clears throat> that he could get something that's by handing me an icon, go ahead. Then he, was gonna, then he got motivated because he thought, oh, that's easy. If I want to eat you know, my favorite meal, French fries, I have to show her the French fry picture. I would get that picture all the time. So I just kept rewarding him for communicating. So it's the same thing when he was not physically able to unlock the door to go outside. And by then I was using discrete trial to teach him to speak because he can say some words. I wouldn't let him out unless he said out or he showed me the picture out, something. He had to communicate before he would get anything, and I did that for years. And so that's how, if you say someone won't communicate, it's because he's being given things without being made to communicate. I, well, I think that that has so much to do with it. We we develop radar 
for our children. It, it is almost ESP, where we could read their thought, every wrinkle, every blink of their eye. And we are so hypersensitive to their needs that we do that. And yeah, and I think that's something that we do. Um, and you know what? I'm not blaming parents. Believe me. My son's 22 now. I am so tired. <laughs> it's like I do too much for him now because I'm kind of done. <laughs> but so he couldn't La- do it Ladies, a lot um, if I could just interrupt for one minute. We've had quite a few um, callers on hold, and um, I'd like to try to at least get one call in. Let's do that. Go ahead, Mary. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's see if I can bring them. If they're still on, they've been on hold for quite a while. Okay. Area code nine one eight six one nine. You're on the air. That's me. Hi, my name is Angela. I know Chantel from Facebook, and she's a wonderful mother. Gives wonderful advice. And um, I homeschool my two daughters. One was fully on the spectrum. The other has auditory processing disorder. And I think that's an option for some people, depends on the state you're in, that's really good. And one of the things I like what Chantel says um, uh, is to expect more out of your child. Because if you don't, who will? Who is going to expect more out of your child than you? I think that's something uh, most parents, I mean all parents need to to abide by, not just parents of special needs kids. But the puberty thing, I've noticed my daughter, I don't know if your son had seizures, but I've noticed when she's gone through growth spurts and she has more seizures. And the other one, when she hit puberty, they told me she had Turner syndrome. You know, just she would go outside, her face would get so flushed. I mean, all sorts of things happen with her brain. I'm just, it makes me want to pull my hair out. Chantel, is that something you've seen? I need to say, yes, that that's an important medical fact, and I bring this up when I do the whole uh, puberty talk, mm-hmm. you know, which is like more than what the time that we have here. But mm-hmm. um, this is very important, is that uh, one out of four teenagers will develop seizures who haven't had seizures before, and those who've had seizures may have more of them. And it's very important that you know this fact because it could be grand mal seizures, which is the ones you see where you see that they're having a seizure where they fall unconscious. But then many of them are having subclinical seizures where um, Mm -hmm. you may not be able to tell except for changes of behavior or some other um, smaller medical things, but they don't look like the grand mal seizures. And it's important to know this fact because if you tell your doctor, oh, I think my son or daughter might be having seizures, they say, oh, they haven't had them until now, they're not going to have them again. That's not true. And you need mm-hmm. to really check up on that because that is something that can happen. Well, thank you, Angela. Thank you for calling in tonight. Well, thank, thank you. That that helps because I thought maybe it was just for girls because no. I have two girls and I didn't know if that happened with boys, but, you know, the different no. chemistries of the brain and just. But thanks. No, and if you ever need someone to talk about homeschooling and autism, that's something I can do. So. Well, email well, me. Give, email me. Email me, Marianne at thecoffeeclatch.com. Thank you for calling, Angela. I look forward to hearing from you. Okay. Well, with the few minutes, are there any other callers? There are no other callers right now. We won't have time for any other calls. I apologize for um, everyone that's tried to call in. We have about two minutes left. Well, then, um, Chantal, why don't you tell us a little bit about some of your websites and some of the resources, and we'll go ahead and post them on our tweet chat. Okay, so I have um, recently started autismcollege.com which right now has a library of information, free resources of articles, and I'm posting more of them. 
I also have free webinars of um, autism experts that people can uh, tune into. And if you sign up on uh, autismcollege.com, you'll know when they'll happen. And pretty soon I'll be putting on some online conferences as well as some trainings, particularly to adolescents and the transition to adult life. Um, my son and I have co-written a book which is coming out in April, and my son now has a Twitter uh, thing called uh, Jeremyisms because every time he comes out with a great one-liner, everyone says, there's a Jeremyism. So he decided to have a Twitter, Jeremyisms, Aww. and uh, he is blogging now on his own website, which is new, but there will be more pages up on jeremycecilecura.com. Uh, he wants to be a writer and an advocate, and he has already started doing so. He's been uh, a writer on his college newspaper, and I found out that one of his articles was hand-delivered to each of the senators in uh, California before the some budget discussions because he was talking about the cuts that the budgets, uh, you know, they, they were talking about budget cuts to services, how that would affect him and his family. So it was handed to each of the senators, and I didn't know. I just found this out last week. So that's I'm 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 just awing because it sounds wonderful. Congratulations. Thank you. Congratulations. Well, is there anything else, Chantal, you'd like to leave us? Oh, where can we find your books? Oh yeah, I'm sorry, I forgot it. My uh, publishers would be very mad at me because I don't push myself enough when it comes to that. (laughs) My books. On my website, and they are uh, Autism Spectrum Disorders, Adolescence on the Autism Spectrum, Autism Life Skills, and 41 Things to Know About Autism, and they are on my author website, which is ChantalCecileCura.com. Okay, wonderful. Well, thank you so much, and thank you, everyone, for joining us tonight, for calling in, for listening, for tweeting. Thank you, Chuck and Marianne, for manning the uh, tweet chat and the switchboard tonight. We we really appreciate it. And, and Chantal, thank you. And, and I hope you'll stay in touch with us and continue to drop in from time to time and, and give us all much-needed advice and practical tips. So with that in mind, go ahead. Thank you for the wonderful resource Coffee Clutch is providing. Our pleasure. All right, then. Well, as Mary Ann, our founder, would say, um, you are your child's best advocate. If not you, then whom? So join us again on the Coffee Clutch and on our sister network, the Special Needs Network on Blog Talk Radio. And for all of us, good night. Have a great evening. Thank you. <laughs>